The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Welcome. If you're new, my name is Ryan and I'm your pastor. We are glad you are here. A couple of things are coming up, so before we get started, you can start flipping to the Psalms, but you're going to find one of these on a seat around you. And we really, really need you to at least fill out the front side that says the new chapel service times. This will make it very helpful for us as we're putting together our kids' teams in two weeks. On October 29th, we are going from this one service at 10 o'clock to two identical services, one at 9 and one at 1045. And it would be very, very helpful for us if you could let us know which one you are planning on going to because I cannot read your minds, but we need to make sure we have staff to care for the children in the back. So if all of you showed up at the 9 o'clock and you lie and say, we're all coming to the 1045, then there's going to be like 73 kids with two sad, sad, angry adults. So be sure to please fill this out for us and drop that in the offering when it goes by later on in the service. Also, if you are new, please fill out the connection card. There should be these in in the chairs in front of you with a pen and simply drop that in the offering. And now we get into the Psalms. Is everyone ready for the Psalms today? Okay, we're going to be in Psalms chapter 14 is where we're going to start. We're going to try to work through two Psalms today. If you are new to the Psalms, the Psalms are a gritty book written by multiple authors over a span of hundreds of years, depending on where in the Psalms you're reading. The Psalms are broken up into five parts. There's book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. And David wrote about 73 of the Psalms, and then there's other Psalms by people like Solomon and Moses, and then there's some unknown Psalms. The first three books of the Psalms, not the chapters, but the first three sections of the Psalms are primarily what the Bible calls lament. That means that they're sad, grumpy, and depressed. There is within there a smattering of positive Psalms. They're called praise Psalms. Everyone say lament and everyone say praise. You can use this if you're married. You can say, I lament you right now if you want your spouse. But if you're very excited with your spouse, you can say, I praise God for you. You can figure out which one will be better for you and your family uh, to use. Now, I do want to give another warning for those of you who weren't here last week. um, I announced something very cool that's happening in my life. My wife and I made a new baby, baby number four. I'm very excited. I've told you guys since I've been here, I will see more people come to know Jesus, whether I have to personally breed them in my family or I will lead not yet believing people to come and know Jesus. So, uh, I'm just also going to let you know that, that things come in threes at the chapel. So if we started this thing, just be forewarned, all of you out there, especially you young, newly married couples, pregnancy is contagious in fish hawk. When you walk through the chapel doors, it increases your probability of having a child by 25%. And the good thing is that if you are a chapel family member, when you have a baby, they're guaranteed to be 17% cuter than other average babies born that year. Okay. <laughs> That last two things I said were probably not true, but we're going to pray. We're going to get into the Psalms this morning, and, uh, and I, I couldn't figure out what to title this, this sermon. Either uh, I was going to title it, Who's In and Who's Out, because it seemed like a very appropriate religious text, but I instead titled it, Crushed or Free, and this is what religion, and you go to any church gathering, it will tend to do one of these two things to us. It will either crush us or free us, and Jesus came to set people free. Okay, we're going to pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. Lord, today we are unpacking the Psalms, and I fear, I fear, God, and I don't want to fear that people will interpret this Psalm without Jesus, and that they would have burdens laid on them, because without Jesus, these two Psalms, 14 and 15, will crush me and us. 
So Lord, we need to learn how to sharpen our minds, and we need to learn how to start in a passage of the Bible and see you. Help us to do that today. God, help my words to be words that are for you and about you today. Help people leave here not crushed, but free. God, this is your family. You're our dad. Love us today as your kids. Discipline those of us that need to be disciplined and and nurture those of us that need to be nurtured and challenge and inspire those of us who need to be challenged and inspired. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said. Psalm 14. You guys ready? So here's what we'll do. I'm just going to read through Psalm 14, and then we'll stop. Now, I want you to try to see yourself in this psalm. Are you ready? To the choir master of David, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. We don't use that word abominable except for with the snowman. It just means really, really bad. There is none who, who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man, that's you and I, to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And what does he find out? They have all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even, how many? One. Okay. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord, they, there they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. And we'll stop right there for now. Man. So I just want to tell you right now, I want you to look to the person on your left or your right, pick wisely, and say, you are a wretched sinner. Okay, I can tell that felt far too good and comfortable for some of you. Okay, that's problematic, but that's why I'm here to help you not only say that. (laughs) Does it worry anybody that when I said that, everyone's eyes were like, yes! And I said choose wisely, but before I even got the words choose out of my mouth, your head was already craning to the person you wanted to bestow your gift to. I don't do a marriage counseling unless your marriage is in dire straits, but if you are that person, come to me. We'll do this. We'll walk through the Bible together. The fool says in their heart, there is no God. Now, we know this in Christianity. We've played this game for hundreds of years, and really, especially in the last 120 years, we've played this game of there is the us type people, and then there is the them. There are the people who are the Christian people, and there are the people who are the non-Christian people, the outsiders. And we've really put up these massive barriers, and there's little poems that go about it, and I joke about it all the time, but it's still true. Uh, To be a good Christian, what what do you do? You don't You don't cuss or smoke or chew or go with girls who do. You don't do that if you're a good Christian. And we've had this us and them dichotomy, which is why I wanted to title this who's in and who's out. But I need us to see something. This is a psalm. This is a a song in this case, because they're not all songs, contrary to popular belief. Some of them are just poems. Some of them are prayers. This is a song. We know this because it says, to the choir master of David, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, if you're here, you might be thinking, I don't know if there is a God. You might be thinking, I'm not sure, or you might be here and somebody tricked you here and you're like, how did you get me to this church? You said it was a coffee bar. Nope, it's just Folgers coffee, joke's on you. But you're here. 
And you might be thinking, do I believe? Don't I believe? The chapel is a place where I welcome skeptics. We love skeptics here. If you're here and you don't yet believe in Jesus, I'm glad you're here. Dialogue with us. Take, us out to, take me out to coffee. We'll ha- have a conversation. Because not many people here will say there is no God. Not many people I've discovered in the, the South will say there is no God. Because there are so many churches here, uh, if you want, this is a pro tip, if you don't want to be bothered by Christian people, just tell people that you go to church even if you don't. Just say, hey, so-and-so, nice to meet you. And if they start to bug you about Jesus, say, oh, no, I'm really plugged in over at First Baptist of insert any city name and you're safe. Because there's First Baptist Church everywhere. But something I, I want us to think about is that we may not be saying there is no God, but functionally our lives will display constantly that we don't truly believe in a God. Here's what I mean. Uh, God gave us the gift to talk to him. This is an amazing gift. God gave us the gift only through Jesus to come into his presence and he put his spirit within us. People before the time of Jesus didn't have that. As a matter of fact, the Israelites had a high priest and once a year, the high priest, the chief priest, would go into the holy of holy places. And his ornate robe was put on him, and he had to wash himself, he had to sacrifice for his sins, he had to be as clean morally as possible, and then he would go into the holy of holies where God's presence dwelled. However, if you went in there and there was a speck of wrongness that you had done, you would drop dead. But then who could go in and get you? So one of the traditions that you can read about in extra biblical literature is that on the hem of his robe, there would be a pomegranate and a bell, a pomegranate and a bell rotating on the hem. And then they would tie a rope around his ankle. And then they would send him in. Because if he fell down, it would go ding-a-ling-a-ling. And they would drag him out. You know, we don't have to do that anymore. But some people feel that way. Some people say, and, and we had this conversation at our band of brothers yesterday, that there is this notion that God is going to strike us down when we do something bad with lightning. Now, granted, in Tampa, that's more likely than in other places. But... It's not God's MO. It's not the way that he normally operates. But we have this fear. And I need you to know that this, this idea of coming to God and, and engaging God in prayer, this is something that in this time they would engage God almost as like a deity who we can't get close enough to, but now we can draw close. But we still, in our hearts, we functionally say there is no God every time we don't pray. Every time we say, I can figure this out on my own. I can do this on my own. And we all do it. I do it. You do it a hundred times a day. We say, I don't, I don't need God for this. And some of us need God for a lot of things in our lives, and we forget to pray. We forget that we have the creator of the universe literally waiting, the Bible says, to be asked by us. He's waiting to be asked a question. He's waiting to be worshipped by us. He looks down on his sons and daughters just like we look down on our kids and say, man, I love it when my kids come up and say amazing things to me. That's why I'm training them to do that. Every morning, my daughter comes into our room with big old bed head, and she crawls up and cuddles, and lately, she's been going to mom, and I'm feeling slighted, but I'm letting her get away with it because Amy's pregnant, Um, but then after she comes over to cuddle with me, I say, who's your favorite? And then I say that loud enough for Amy to hear, and then right after that, I say, if you say me, chocolate chip cookies, and she goes, you, and Amy has no idea why I'm Savannah's favorite because I feed her cookies. Now, that's not real or true. I mean, it's, I really say that, but it's, uh, I'm not really her favorite. Chocolate chip cookies are her favorite. But I love it when my kids come up to me and they ask me questions and they want to learn things. Are you doing that with God? Because if you're not, functionally, your life is saying, yeah, there might be a God up there, but I don't, 
act like there's a God. I don't pray like there's a God. A very famous preacher, Leonard Ravenhill, he's long gone to be with Jesus now. He used to say, I I can measure any man by his prayer life. By how he prays, I can know how he believes. Now, this is going to get real heavy. You're going to feel crushed in a second here. Because verse 2 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. And it's the grimmest answer of all time. They have all turned aside. There is there's no doubt that the author, the writer, the singers of this psalm, what do they know about humans? They are bad. How many seek after? Not even one. It's like the psalmist wants us to know there is no one good. When I had to turn and say, hey, you're a wretched sinner, I, I meant it. And I'm smiling because Psalm 15, but we're not going to get there yet. Because I need us to understand that from the moment conception happens, from the moment the DNA collides, a new sinner in the image of God is born. And then when they come out, they know how to sin. They are professional sinners. Some of you have been professionally sinning for many, many decades. Some of you have sinned that's so entrenched in you that there's not even a question. But some of you, if you grew up in church, when you see this, we automatically start to parse people out. We say, well, yeah, not, no one does good, not even one, but some people are less gooder than others, right? And as long as I'm a little bit better than my neighbor, then I'm okay. But that's not what this is saying. This psalmist is saying, no one's coming after God. Everyone has turned aside. Everyone is corrupt. They have no knowledge. Evildoers evil eat up the bread. But here's in verse 7 is what I want to look at before we jump to Psalm 15. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. Now, this is something that we have to understand, family. If we don't read the Bible through the lens of Jesus, we are going to blow it in our Christian life. And too many people don't read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. Because if I just read this psalm and stopped today, you would go home thinking, I am bad, I am evil, I have turned aside. But there's this beacon of hope. Oh, that salvation for Israel, God's people, would come out of Zion, God's city, when the Lord restores his fortunes to the people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. So there's this glimmer of hope. Now, I don't know about you, but I love glimmers of hope. I love it. I love glimmers of hope in relationships. I love glimmers of hope in, in, uh, in reality TV shows. And I've been super addicted to a TV show lately. It's called um, Hotel Hell. Has anyone seen this show? So it's Gordon Ramsay, the, the British guy that, that curses a lot. So I know I get negative points for that. Although if you were here last week, I did uh, level B cursing all the sermon. So in Hotel Hell, Gordon Ramsay, who swears a lot, he goes into a hotel that's rancid. And he starts pointing out everything wrong. He's like ripping wallpaper off. He's going into the kitchen. He's finding mold spores. And he's just laying into these people. And everyone starts crying eventually. And then they turn a corner. And this is in one week period. You go on YouTube, just type in Hotel Hell. And there's tons of episodes on YouTube. And then something weird happens in the end. Like people that hated Gordon Ramsay, they end up loving him. And they're like, thank you so much. And then he revamps part of their hotel. And then he retrains the kitchen staff. And then he just leaves like on a random day when everything's going good. He just pieces out. And every episode, and I don't know why this is happening. I think it's because I'm pregnant, okay? Um, Every episode, we're watching this in my bed, my wife and I at night. And 
And it gets to that scene where, like, the person hugs Gordon. They're like, thank you. You saved our lives. You saved our business. And Amy's over there just like popcorn, cool as a cucumber. And I'm over here like, (laughs) and she doesn't even look. She used to look over, but we've been married 10 years now. So she's just like, she'll keep watching the TV and she'll be like, stop crying. Because these people who had no hope, when they find hope, all I see in every episode of Hotel Hell is Jesus. Every time I watch a Disney movie, uh, another movie that I told you guys, I confess this, and this is a confession day for me. Every time I watch Moana, I weep like a child at the end of the movie. I can't help it. Because when, when Moana's there, spoiler alert, and she's got the heart of Tafiti and Taka, the demon of the fire, is coming up, she sings this song that says, know who you are. And she takes the heart and she puts it back in, and this fire demon turns back into the beautiful island of Tafiti. And in that story, I'm Tafiti, and I am Taka, and Jesus is plugging in the new heart. And this is why I cry. I don't cry because I'm a sucker for Disney writers. I cry because I can't help but see Jesus in Hotel Hell, in Moana, in Finding Nemo, in Finding Dory, in Toy Story 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. I can't help it. I just see Jesus in all these things. And and so often we read these Psalms and we don't see Jesus because the very next verses, this is terrifying, you guys. This is terrifying because it's you're wicked, you are bad, you are worse off than you think you are. And then all of a sudden it switches gears to the next Psalm and it says, a Psalm of David. Oh Lord, who shall sojourn into your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Now these Psalms are back to back. It goes, you wretched human beings, you do nothing gooders, you ankle biting toddlers, you terrible husbands, terrible wives, you do nothing good, but there's hope coming. And the hope is in the next verse. Who's going to go? And this is one of those things where the priest would say, who's going to go to the tent of the Lord? And then they would just read the verses together. Here's who is able to be with God. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. He who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up reproach against his friend, nor gets disgruntled and angry against his friend. I'm just going to stop in verse 3. Just those three verses. Does anyone pass the test? Does anyone walk blamelessly? We could do a secret survey. Like, okay, thinking about the person that you came into the chapel with, I want you to answer the questions for them. Are they blameless? Do they do what is right always and speak truth in their hearts? Not even speak truth, but speak truth in their hearts. But then it gets even harder who does not slander with his tongue. Now, we don't go around using the word slander, um, but I can give you an idea of what slander sounds like. Pretty much everything that I hear coming out of people's mouths all the time that tears down. We don't have a lot of building up. Someone this morning uh, came up to me and said, oh, Pastor Ryan, I just want to say, you are a son of God and you are loved. It felt weird. Because I was like, wait, 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 wait. I, I'm supposed to say that to you. But you're saying it to me. And I said, wow, nobody ever says that to me. I say it to myself. And, and it just made my morning. That's building up. The opposite of that is when I get um, anonymous comment cards or when I get emails that tell me all the bad things I'm doing. And what I usually do is I just forward those to my wife and say, do you agree? Or disagree. No, I don't do that. She'd be like, agree, stamp approval. No. She loves me most days. I love her all the days because I'm holier than her. 
I'm just making sure you're keeping up. That's my sarcastic time, okay? <laughs> However, the slandering thing, you guys, it's got to stop. But if I just went through this sermon, and here's what 99% of churches that I've experienced will do. I could go through this sermon bullet point, and I say, okay, here's five ways to not slander people. That's true. We shouldn't slander people. I could go through this, and here's, here's a 10-step plan to be blameless. And that's true. Being blameless is a good thing. But a religious-oriented church that's separated from Jesus, one that is valuing rules over the relationship with Jesus, will read this as a manual of how to be good and, and how not to be bad. All of us here have the capacity to do good. I believe it. However, we are bent toward breaking down eventually. We are like my first car. It was a 1984 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. It was built like a tank, and I was the envy of all the gangsters that lived and went to my school because it was one of those four-door white sedans that was like seven cars long. Well, you, you kids don't even know this nowadays, but all the adults uh, speak with me here. Bench seats in the front and back, right? right. You know where I'm going, sin. Um, I wired a house speaker into my trunk so that I could thump down into the parking lot with a, like a JBL wood, particle wood speaker that I just hot-wired in there and put electric tape around it. Like, this is ghetto. This is ghetto. But, but man, as ghetto as that was, it, it got me from point A to B sometimes. Religion will get you from point A to B sometimes. Eventually, that car... It, uh, it shot blue smoke out of the tailpipe, and it started making funny noises. Eventually, that car got me from point A to A point two. Religion can move you along, and you can appear good for a little bit. But until you get to the heart of what religion is all about, you actually will never get from A to B. You will never see lasting change. Therapy is great. I am pro-therapy. Some of you all need therapy, a lot of you. I need therapy. You need therapy. We all need therapy. It's a good thing to talk out your problems because in our culture, we stuff them in. We need to let them out. But we need to let them out in the right direction. In, in this passage, I'm going to finish reading it up so you can see. Verse 4 says this. Uh, let's go back to verse 3, sorry. A person can enter God's tent who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up uh, a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised but who honors those who fears the Lord. So you've got to despise vile people. You've got to honor those who fear the Lord and who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So if you read this as a religious person, I could say, okay, look, don't loan and charge interest. I think that's pretty nice. If any of you are on board for that program, let me know. Don't slander. Use only kind words. Okay. Be blameless. This is getting a little harder. But I can write books about this. We could write blog posts and do a series and have a class. Here's how you don't slander. You know what is the hardest part about slandering? Most of us aren't planning on doing it. Most of us aren't planning on being blamed for something. We simply fall into it. 
I, I love uh, the joke you know, with, with marriage and kids. Because when you're dating, you have no anger toward the person that you're dating. Because there's no commitment. But then, you go on in the relationship, you like it, you put a ring on it, you go down the aisle, all of a sudden you're married. And the gift that every wedding couple gets on their first day of being married is a gift of the push button, right? Here is your wife's button. Here is your husband's button. Here's how you push this one button. (laughs) The gift on your first anniversary is the console of 12 buttons. And then the master Jedi of marriages, when you get the organ with the foot pedals and you can push every button. And you know exactly how to make the ticking time bomb go boom, boom. This is, this is so common, and we don't think about it. Nobody goes into a day thinking, you know what I'm going to do today? I want to see if I can turn my wife into a sea monster of ancient lore. Do we do that? No. Nobody does that with their kids. Nobody is there with their kids thinking, you know what I'm going to do with my kids today? I'm going to see if I can bring out the beast from the basement. We don't do that because that affects us. When I have to ground my children, it's like punishing myself. We don't go to work thinking, you know what I'm going to do at work today? I'm going to see how many people I could smack in the heart. Now, if you've gotten that far, because I know some of us do, some of us wake up thinking, I hate this person so bad, I want to hurt them. I go, I want to hurt this person at work, I want to hurt this person. If you're that far, you've got to back up all the way to Psalm 14 and say, I am this epitomized. I am the person who is turned away. I am, I am the person who is living as though God doesn't exist. But here's what we've got to do. Because this chapter 15 is amazing. But only if you read it and think about who it's about. Because right in the end of 14 it says, when will our salvation come? And here's what the writer says in the next psalm. Somebody will walk blamelessly and do what is right. Sound like anybody we know? Someone will always speak truth in his heart. Someone will not slander with their tongue and do no evil to their neighbor. Someone will take up a reproach against, will take no reproach against his friend. Someone will see evil and hate it. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, and this is something we have to dispel. Um, Just because we say God is love doesn't mean that God does not hate. The Bible says that God hates sin. The Bible says, uh, actually, it's in the Psalms. I've got a few of them. It says in Psalm 5.5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Psalm 11, verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked, the one who loves violence. Now, we all collectively as a nation have hated the one who does violence in the last few weeks. God hates that too. But what we don't understand, because in our minds, we, we like to swing the pendulum. We go from one extreme to the next. So if God is love, how can God hate? Well, I know one thing. The Bible says God is love, and the Bible says God hates wickedness and evil. So how do we reconcile those two? What does that look like for you and for me? And this is what it looks like. Those people, all people have turned away. And God, because of the way he is wired, has to pour out his anger against sin. It's not that he wants to, he can't help but to. Because he is total love, anything that is not love, he pours wrath and rage against. But he didn't want to leave us there. So he said, what's the problem? I need to get these people to not be this type of person, to not be evil, to not be slanderers. But there's no way that we could do it on our own. So he sent Jesus to be blameless, to not slander. He sent Jesus to love his neighbor. He sent Jesus to only do good. He sent Jesus, the only blameless person who has ever existed, 
And if you read Psalm 15 and think, this is what I've got to be in order for God to love me, I've got to muster this up, you'll be crushed. It's crushing. I've let down so many people in my life from trying to make myself better. I'm all for getting better, but if I just say, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I cannot do things for a period of time, and then what happens? Life happens. And, and just so we're clear, like there are those of us in this room that are so type A, you could maybe get away with it for like a month, two months. You hear a good sermon, you read a good book, you get fired up, your life changes. But for the rest of us, like the type A people, we can like press through that. The type A, in case you don't know what that is, you're driven. You know, someone says we're going to do a 40-day fast from food. You're like, sign me up. Someone says we're going to just organize the junk out of this whole thing. You're like, I got this. Boom, 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 boom. And then there's the type B to Z's, right? Some of you are married to a type B, C, D, E, F. And those are the people that are like, ah, don't worry about it. God's going to take care of it. Lord willing, God puts you with someone different from you. Because if two type A's are together, you're going to kill each other. If two type D's or C's or B, type B personalities are together, nothing's going to get done. You're going to have a hotel hell that Gordon Ramsay has to come fix in Jesus' name. But if we don't understand, if we, if we try to do this on our own strength, you will fail. If you try to muscle down and say, I can be good enough for God, you will fail. There's only one way to be good enough for God, and it's giving up. It's giving up your own power. It's giving up your own rights. There's only one way that we're going to change this world because there is crazy things happening in this world. I mean, it's, it's wild to me that we're setting hurricane records. It's wild to me that my home state is literally half the state I saw a fire map, and it's just on fire. Like from Los Angeles up, there's fire after fire after fire, and people are dying. It's crazy to me that, that in a world where we have so much surplus, we are throwing away tons, literal tons and tons of food, while there are people on the other side of the planet dying because they don't have any food. Like, there's so many crazy things that are happening. Our country is so divided, and then people are saying, that's it, it's the end times. And for all of my life, I said, yeah, the God could come anytime, but I don't know when. But this is the first time where I keep watching the news and I think, oh, this kind of makes sense. Now, all I'm waiting for is America to get wiped off the map because we're not in the Bible. So as soon as that happens, then I'm ready for end times, okay? I know all of you guys think that, that Jesus was a, a white guy with a mullet and moose hair. He was not. He was a five foot six Jewish man in the first century. But all of this stuff gets me thinking. We need to make sure that we are going to be all about Jesus all the time. We need to a ask the hard questions, like if God is love, how can God hate? God hates what happened in Las Vegas. God hates when people die. God hates when people don't turn to him because he is the answer for the question that all of our souls are asking. God hates it when people put out their money at interest because he created a people to be generous. Yet we have become less and less generous as time has gone on. Hate and love are, are not opposites. They're just the opposite side of the same coin. Has anyone ever found it odd that the people that you tend to hate most are the people that at one time you loved the most? That's how it works. Uh, I'm, I'm very practical in my premarital counseling with couples. I tell couples all the time. I say, when you get married, here's what you do. You take a metaphorical gun and you load it with a bullet and you aim it at your heart and you put the person you're going to marry's finger on the trigger. And when you say, I do, you're saying, 
I believe you won't pull the trigger and kill me, that you won't damage me beyond repair. And then when the next person does it, you take that gun, you put the bullet in, you aim it at their heart, and you put your finger on the trigger. It's not just a happy bubblegum chewy thing. It's literally letting someone in so deep that if they were to cut you, if they were to attack, it will hurt unlike anything you've ever experienced. And I've seen it happen over and over again. And that's why hate comes from those people that we've given the most love to. That's why hate, when it becomes visceral and angry and gritty, comes toward those who we've loved. The people that I've been the most in love with in my life, the person is God. The person that I've been most frustrated with in my life is guess who? God. It's okay to say that out loud. The Psalms give us that freedom. It may not be comfortable for you if you grew up in religion and and for you it's about keeping the bullet list, checklists, and I say it's okay to get angry at God, just keep reading the Psalms because the psalmist is screaming at God. I know you can't hear it if you're just reading in your car quietly or on your Bible app, but some of these Psalms, you could feel it in the blood of the writer. God is love, and because he is so loving, he has to hate things that are not love. Some of us aren't on that page with him, but Jesus came, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners. So while we were disobeying, running away, not praying, not believing, not doing good, Jesus said, I want that person. And how do we get to be this blameless way? Galatians 3.37 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So Jesus was perfect. We get baptized, and then we are literally dressing ourselves in Jesus. Now, don't get excited. I just had this conversation this morning. Someone said, you know, what, what theological camp are you in? And then I asked them, and they said, oh, I'm, we're Baptists, and you always poke at Baptists. I only poke at Baptists because Edwin and my wife are Baptists. That's the only reason. If you die and you weren't baptized, it doesn't mean you're getting a one-way ticket to the bad, bad place. If you missed last week's sermon, you need to listen to it. But if you're here and you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you haven't been baptized, it's good to do so because it's an outward symbol of an inward reality that Jesus is now covering you and clothing you. His blamelessness is now yours. His not slandering is now your not slandering. And when you mess up, you're still covered with him. Romans 3.14 says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put him on. And then the very end of those Psalms that we read, it says, He who does all of the things, all of the good things, he has never moved. Jesus has never moved. Now this is where I want to get insanely to, to your heart. You will move. And I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to pick on anybody, but God is, like, is telling me to pick on people. <laughs> you, you will move and wander from God from time to time. But God isn't outside, out of reach of you. Some of you know right now, I am so far from God, I have nowhere to go, so I'm just going to pretend like everything is okay. And maybe if I come here long enough, some genie glitter will fall on me and I will magically be changed. I need you to know that if you're far from God right now, Jesus will not be moved. So, so start building your life on Jesus. And here's what that looks like. Practically say, I've been trying to be good on my own. God, I'm just going to throw myself at your mercy every single day. And, and don't even try to stop slandering. I know that's like the worst advice you've heard from a pastor. All the things on this list. Don't even try to be a better husband right now. Don't try to be a better wife. Don't try to be a better parent yet. If you are at your wit's end and you're feeling crushed by the religious weight of do's and don'ts, I want you every morning to say, God, I can't do this. I need Jesus. That's it. 
I don't want you to go read a seven steps to a better marriage book. I want you to say, God, I can't do this. I need Jesus. When, you, when you're crumbling in the middle of a fight, I want you to go cry in the closet and say, God, I can't do this. I need Jesus. That prayer is another way of saying, have faith that God can do something that you cannot. And for too long, we've been trying too hard to do things on our own. And our prayer lives reflect it. We're not praying. We don't weep with God. We don't cry with God. And ultimately, we may not really love God. But God, who won't be moved, saw the wretches that we are, saw the wretch that the person you turn to is, and said, I want that person so bad. I'm going to go down and do everything they couldn't so that they could be everything I want them to be. And there is no more shame. There is no more guilt. How freeing is this? So now, anybody, Bree can come up and hang her shame here. She doesn't have to walk around with it. Matt can come up and hang his doubts and fears here. He doesn't have to walk around with them anymore. Should I keep on going and picking on people? These are just people that God says, pray for. Because it's true. Because some of us feel unworthy, and you are, but God's not, and he, he wants to be part of your worthiness. Some of you feel unequipped and unprepared, and you probably are, but God will prepare you and equip you. But it starts with you falling on your face and saying, I have turned aside. I have spoken evil. I have done bad. I have not sought after him. But there is one who did. And he did it for you and for me when we were in the bottom of the barrel. Some of you think there's no hope for a situation that you're in. Throw yourself at the mercies of God and see what he can do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all of the amazing things you're doing in my life. Lord, um, as we prepare to throw ourselves at your feet, I pray for the people in here who grew up in churches who might feel like this is an uncomfortable way to approach you. But you will not be moved, and you tell us that if we build our lives on the rock, the storm will not wash us away. Some of us are feeling washed away. Some of us are feeling hopeless in a certain situation. And we've turned to you as a quick fix handyman, and we haven't turned to you as a king and savior and loving dad. So help us to turn. Help us to love again. Help us to remember that even though we are worse off than we think we are, it's good news because that means you loved us more than we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.